0: I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of First Peter, which is toward the end of your Bibles. First Peter, chapter three, verses seventeen through twenty-two. Tonight's reading is from the New Testament book of First Peter, verse seventeen. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience "...waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever heard the term, I think it's time for you to take matters into your own hands? When we use that term to take matters into our own hands, it's usually indicative that someone has not done their job. They didn't do what they were supposed to do, so now we have to take matters into our own hands. We have to do it ourselves because they let us down. A lot of times we are tempted to do that in our lives because we feel like God has let us down. God, I tried your way. I did what I could do, and I had faith in you, and I still fell short. So instead of trusting you further, I think it's time for me to take matters into my own hands. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're just going through a tough season right now in your life and in some relationship that you have, things aren't being done on the other person's end of the relationship and you're like, this is the end of this. It's time for me to take matters into my own hands and stop this relationship. Maybe you're worried about your job and it's not going well. And instead of waiting for God to open up a door for you, you may be saying, it's time for me to take matters into my own hands. Well, I want to remind all of us tonight, or encourage all of us tonight, to release our burdens of life from our limited grip, our limited hands, and to give our matters into the hands of the all-powerful God. This letter that we're going through verse by verse is 1 Peter, and it's a letter written to Christians who were living in a a land where they were by far the, the religious minority. Many of them suffered severe consequences for their faith, and they carried significant burdens and scars in their lives as well. They realized quickly how limited their hands were to fix the problems. There were simply problems bigger than they could fix. But God didn't leave them alone in their struggle. He gave them an option. And that same option is for you and me today. And that opportunity, that option, is for us to place our burdens into His capable, powerful hands. We talked earlier together, especially with the kids in here, that our hands are a gift from God. They are used to build encourage, create many other good things. They can be used as God intended or they can be used for our own glory and we can use these same hands and tear people down. We can discourage them, we can curse them and we can damage their lives and ours. But there's one thing your hands will never be able to do. One of probably many things, but one thing for sure your hands will never be able to do because God didn't design them this way. Your hands will never be able to rescue you. We have limited power with our hands. By rescue, I'm talking about the ultimate rescue, to rescue from death. We can't fix all of our problems, and there's nothing that we can do on our own to fix the issue of death that everyone faces in life. But even more than that, of being rescued from death, God desires us to live by the power of His hand and not our own. He desires us to live in dependency on Him and to walk in His power. And that's what I'm trying to figure out myself how to do. That's what I want to do. I want to walk by His power and not by my own. And so today, as we talk about from my hand to God, we're going to be taking issues of your life out of your hands, and you're going to place them into the hands of God. It doesn't mean that you're not going to to deal with the issues in your life. I'm not saying that you're going to have this fatalistic approach and, you know what, I just gave that to God and I don't worry with it anymore, or I don't deal with it anymore. You don't have to worry about it to deal with it. It doesn't change that you... Do, It doesn't change. It doesn't mean that you don't deal with the issues in your life. What it does change is how you deal with your issues. When I give God authority over my life, instead of being the ultimate authority myself, then I have hope. I realize that there's someone powerful enough to deal with this. I know he doesn't fail in his promises. I know he's capable to deal with anything. I know that he can handle sickness. He can handle disease. He can uh, handle, if I get fired from a job, he can handle that pressure. He can even handle, check this out, sometimes you may get a promotion at work. Somebody in here has gotten one recently. I didn't ask if I could mention her name, so I won't mention Melanie. But we're happy that she, that she got one. But sometimes, even promotions can lead you into a new season to where you're like, I wonder how stressful this is going to be. So God wants to take these added pressures, even the commuting during rush hour pressure, which we all know is much more than one hour. Those pressures of life can be placed into God's hands. So today I want you to learn why you need to take your life's matters, and put them into the hands of God. And also at the end, I'm going to give all of us a practical way for you to do this on a daily basis for the rest of your life. Does that sound good? Okay. If you want to follow along, there is a worship outline in your folder. If you want to pull that out, there's some blanks we can fill in that you can uh, take some notes on to help you remember tonight and also take it with you as you leave here. But tonight we're going to see um, four aspects of God's hand, and so we'll start with number one: God's hand is a hand of suffering. Number one: God's hand is a hand of suffering. So suffering, as we have gone through this letter of First Peter, has been a recurring theme. The people of God were going through terrible times, and and they had to suffer and. uh, Peter was telling them, there are some difficult things that you're going to have to endure. But as you do these things, remember this is connecting you with God. This is helping you uh, know His love more. And it's going to give you opportunities because as you go through the the terrible things of life, just like everyone has to deal with terrible things in life, something different is going to be about you. There's going to be a joy that is within you. There's going to be a resolve that's within you. And it's going to cause people to ask you, why are you so stinking joyful in the midst of this struggle. And I want you to be ready to tell them for the hope, tell them the reason for the hope that's within you. We talked about that last week, that the story of why we have hope is Jesus. But we see that God's hand is a hand of suffering. That may sound uh, difficult for some people, but I want you to think of the hand of Jesus. What happened to his hands at the cross? They were pierced, right? So we had nail-pierced hands, and so we can see that the hand of God, the hand of Jesus, is a hand of suffering. Look with me at First Peter chapter 3, verse 17 again. It says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins. I'm going to stop there. Actually, we can go to the next Line, the, the righteous for the unrighteous. So we see Jesus, the, the righteous one, who suffered on our behalf so that we could become righteous. He suffered. His hands are sympathetic. So when we go to God and we place things into His hands, we're not going to someone who doesn't know what we're going through, but someone who is sympathetic. is like, I know what it's like to suffer, I know what it's like to bear these burdens. We also see the hands of the suffering hands of Jesus are compassionate, that he knows what it's like to endure these things, and so there's this compassion that God has for us. But we also see from the suffering hands of Jesus, not only do we see that he's sympathetic, not only do we see that he's compassionate towards us, but we also see this. We see his commitment to us, that he's, he's resolved enough to stay there with us. That he loved us so much, he was committed so much to us that while we were still sinners, while we were ugly in our sin, while we were dead in our trespasses, he gave his life for us in order to redeem us back. It's a committed love. It's a committed hand of God. Jesus took our suffering on himself. So many different applications we could use for this. But I want to focus on just a couple, and I ask this question: Are you suffering needlessly? Are you suffering in your life needlessly? Are you? Do you find yourself punishing yourself? I, I hear so many times uh, people that that go through things, and I and I struggle with these thoughts too in my own mind. And and we we tend to have these self inflicted wounds in our own lives, where uh, and, and those self inflicted wounds of punishing ourselves can lead to dependency on substances like alcohol or drugs or or even relationships. They can also lead to self harming activities where we do things that we know we shouldn't do because we kind of just want to punish ourselves. If you ever find yourself feeling unworthy, feeling like you had to punish yourself in order for God to accept you, in order to to make up for whatever it is that you've done, I want to help you break free from that and realize what you're doing is is you're telling Jesus, what you did for me on the cross wasn't enough. The suffering that you went through wasn't quite enough. I need to do this in order to make up for it. And if you go down even further to the heart issue a lot of times you'll find there's this idol within us of self-righteousness. That we want to be our own savior. That we, won't, we don't want someone else to have to, to rescue us. Somehow we think we can suffer enough and show God how serious we are about making it right. And then we'll feel better about receiving His grace. But what you're doing is you're trying to put God in a position of owing you something. And that's not what the gospel is. Sometimes we think we're just undeserving of God's grace. It's not that we're wanting to pay God back. We just think, no, listen, you don't understand. That's not me at all. I just don't deserve his grace. I know better than to do what I did. And I did it anyway. Sometimes we feel like we should just know better, that we're undeserving. But I want to ask, what false doctrine class did you hear that that ever got you thinking that that's the way God's gospel was? At what point in your life were you ever deserving of God's grace? At what point in your life did God's mercy ever become contingent on us being good enough to meet a certain standard? See, the gospel comes in and it, and it blasts us from both sides. It says, Yeah, you're, you're worse than you think you are, actually. You think you're undeserving? You're right. You think you stink? It's worse than you think. But then it comes in and it says, But the gospel and the grace of God is greater than you ever thought possible. The gospel says, Yes, you deserve hell, you deserve to suffer. But then it says, Jesus is going to take that penalty for you and instead give you heaven. The gospel says, yes, you deserve the full measure of God's wrath on you for your sin. But it also says, but Jesus took that for you. And instead, now you're going to receive the fullness of God's love and peace. The gospel says, absolutely, you deserve condemnation because you knew better. But then the gospel also says, Jesus took your condemnation and is now giving you freedom. Now go and sin no more. God's hands are uh, His; His hand is a hand of suffering, and one way or another, we will suffer for our sins. I'll say that again. One way or another, you and I are going to suffer for our sins. But the question is, is your suffering going to be met through Jesus and His? Or are you going to reject what He's done and face it yourself? There will be consequences in suffering for sin. But the good news is, For those who call on Christ, he takes all of that for you. So the first thing of taking um, of God's hand is it's a hand of suffering. The second one is this. God's hand is a hand of reconciliation. Reconciliation. We'll leave that slide up just for a minute because that is a big word, right? Reconciliation is necessary in our relationship with God. If the first point didn't make that clear, the second point will it's not only necessary in our relationship with God, but reconciliation at some point will be necessary for every human relationship that you have. At some point, things are going to break down and have to be reconciled. What happened with our relationship with God is that our, um, our relationship with him was, was wrecked by sin. And if you look with me in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, we'll see this. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his, is his, or his ear dull, that is, it cannot hear. So it's saying the, the God's hand isn't shortened and it can't help. It, it's, his ear isn't dull that he can't hear. But here's what happened in verse 2. But your iniquities, your sins, they've made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. It's not that God's incapable of saving you. It's that there's this barrier that is keeping his face from shining on you, and that barrier is called sin. And what we need is reconciliation. We need for that barrier to be removed, and that's what the hand of God does. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, we go back to it. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he, and here it is, the reconciliation might What? That he might bring us to God. This is that reconciliation so that we're separated from God. We're over here. God's over here. There's this gulf of sin separating us, keeping us from him. And Jesus, by his hand, is going to lead us to have reconciliation with God. He brings us to God. So the purpose of Jesus' suffering was to make that happen. He brought us along with his suffering hands and his reconciling hands. He did what we would never be able to do on our own. So Christianity believes something, this is diametrically opposed to most modern teachings in our world. We believe that all people are sinful and have no hope of eternal life except for God choosing to give us grace. And I know what you're thinking, well, what about the little children? The only people that ask that are the people that haven't had children yet. Those little things are stinkers, all right? They do some stuff. And you used to be a child, too, and you did some stuff, too. So, (laughs) Christianity teaches that there's something wrong with our heart when we're born. And there's this disposition to where we are only concerned with me. And until something changes the God of our heart is going to be ourselves. So the world says something different. Many other principles assume that that people are inherently good, that no, there's there's good within you. You have to discover the good within you. If you learn and you become good, you can learn and practice these principles that will help you become a better person. Well, a better person on that scale is still an abomination to God. A better person on those scales is still imperfect. You can't be in the presence of God unless you are perfected. And so Jesus comes in and says, nope, that's not true. We're not inherently good. You're not inherently good. He comes and he says, you and I, people, you people, you people, (laughs) he says, what it is is you have a problem with sin, and if you try to deal with it by the power of your own hands, you're going to lose this battle. But what you need are the hands of reconciliation. What you need are the hands of God to reconcile you with Him. And also you need that to reconcile you with one another. So we see hands of suffering, hands of reconciliation, and the third one is this. We see the hand of... You know, the first two, the first one may have been a little heavy for you, so I'm going to give you one a little lighter right here, okay? Ready? Hand of judgment. It's a hand of judgment. Judgment is coming for all people. You may be dismissed. You are dismissed. Uh, Actually, I'd rather you stay. You and I will not escape standing before our Creator. That one day there's going to be a judgment day. We're going to stand before the Holy One. Every detail of your life will be known. You'll be exposed. There will be no place to hide. Every bit of it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 21 says this. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, the reconciliation, and now we're going to see judgment. Being put to death, we see judgment here in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's the resurrection. In which, in this resurrected state, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. We see more judgment right there. We'll talk about it in a second. Because those spirits were in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, even though there was patience, there was still judgment. We'll talk about that in a second too. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight people, were safely brought through the water baptism, which we're going to see is judgment too, just a second, which corresponds to this, this baptism now saves you. Baptism corresponds with the the judgment waters. It now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you remember, it said Jesus was put to death. What we see there is the judgment that Jesus took judgment he took our judgment from God. He took our judgment of guilty, as he was condemned through the cross. We saw that it said um, the spirits are in prison, and this is a, a debatable term. But from my understanding, the best way to understand what was happening here is that Jesus ascended. So he died and he rose again, and then he, in that resurrected state, proclaimed. Didn't preach the gospel, but he proclaimed. He announced to the spirits in prison, which were these uh, demons or, or fallen angels in prison, he announced to them, listen, I am who I said I am. I have the victory. I have the power. I have the authority. And so Jesus is proclaiming his victory over the darkness of the world. And they were being judged in this prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, sometimes we think God is patient and, and uh, that means that he's just, there's just not going to be judgment. But that's not what happened in the story of Noah. He was very patient. And mankind was so wicked that God regretted making them. And he sent judgment. But he waited patiently, proclaiming Patience doesn't mean judgment isn't coming, but it is coming. And then it talks about baptism. It talked about the ark, and everybody in the world except eight people died, and they were judged. All but eight people were judged guilty, but those eight people were also judged. I held up three fingers. I don't know why I do that. Eight people, but they were also judged as well. But you see, their judgment was different than those who died. They were judged innocent. They were given life. They were given grace. Instead of death, they received life. And so baptism is now, if you will, our flood. It's our moment. It's where we identify with Christ's death. We identify with His judgment in baptism as we go under the waters. And as we come up out of the waters, we identify with His resurrection, His new life, And baptism is an appeal, not that, okay, now I'm just washed clean, which there are aspects of that, but what Peter is focusing on here is I want you to understand that it's an appeal of the resurrection of Christ. These resurrected hands of Jesus. His hands, if you remember in the Gospels when he was resurrected, they were healthy and they were whole except for one identifying mark, The scars from the crucifixion nails. They were still there. His whole healthy hand still bore the scars of suffering, showing that he took the judgment of our death and he conquered it fully. His hands are a hand of judgment. So either Jesus will take and face the penalty of our sin, he'll take our judgment, or we will take that. But the good news is when Jesus has taken your judgment of guilt, in return, in return you receive the gift of forgiveness. So we see hands of suffering, hands of reconciliation, and the hands of judgment. And number four is my favorite. We see God's hand is a hand of supreme authority. We just sang a song earlier that said, you're the name above all names. You're worthy of all praise. And we're, we're speaking of Jesus in this point. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 talks about that, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We see the eminence, the, the greatness, the, um, uh, the magnitude of who Christ is, that he is the supreme authority. And God's hand is the supreme authority. Now. Not just then and not in the future. But right now, Jesus is reigning as the supreme authority. It's very easy for us to think back to uh, Jesus the creator. It's very easy for us to think back to uh, Jesus as he was a, a baby. It's very easy for us to think about his on the cross and the resurrection and then skip to when he comes back. And we forget about this huge expanse of time called now. Where is Jesus now? Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. As we close out section uh, chapter 3 of this letter. Speaking of Jesus Christ, he says, Who has gone into heaven, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So what we see here is that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the the position of power, that whatever he says goes, that he has authority. And so that's where he is now. He's actively reigning. He's ruling at the right hand of God. So whatever Jesus says goes. This is what's really cool. We know Jesus is our intercessor He's our advocate, that when we stand before God in judgment one day, that, that if Christ is our Lord, then Jesus is there with us. He's like uh, the best attorney in the world, our advocate. He stands there with us, and he says, Father, they're with me. All their sins are on me, and I'm paying for it. And so we, we have Jesus standing with us, but Jesus is also the judge. He's also the one up there with the authority to say, I forgive you. He's also the one with all power, all authority, reigning and ruling over all of known creation and the unknown creation that we're unaware of. He's reigning and ruling over all of it, and he's wielding all of that power for us in these supremely authoritative hands. So what I want you to do is to take the things from your life, Out of your feeble, although maybe you have very strong hands. I I want to say you you have the strong. I looked at your hands when you walked in, and I've seen some strong hands in here, some of the best hands in the world in here. Okay? We have the best hands. Have the best hands. Is it too soon to do that? I've waited like a year and a half, folks. Okay? Too soon. Okay, sorry. As strong as your hands meet may be, I want you to take the matters of your life out of your hands and put them into the supremely authoritative reigning and ruling hands of Jesus. Proclaim his power over your life. Proclaim his victory over your life just like he proclaimed to the spirits in prison that I am who I said I am. This is good news for those of you that like to talk a lot. If you like to talk a lot, you will never bother Jesus in your prayers by talking to him too much. Amen? Amen. You can never talk to Jesus too much. He wants you to share every detail with Him. In 1 Peter, which we'll get to in a few weeks, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, we read this about casting our anxieties on Him. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty, what? Hand of God. So that at the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you for you the mighty hand of God cast all of your cares on him and I know what you're thinking because I have it here in my notes that's funny nobody okay all right how can I cast I mean think about it how could I know what you're thinking just because it's in my notes you may be thinking this how can I cast my cares on God like what does that what does that mean how do I do that? And so we're going to do a visual right now. So you can just remain seated. And for those of you who feel comfortable, I want you to just put your hands out in front of you like this. If you hadn't figured out, I'm kind of a casual preacher these days, so I'll, I'll talk to you. Put your hands out like this. And I want you to, um, to think. You can speak softly if you want under your breath. And I want you to put in your hands with your words or your thoughts, your anxieties. Your anxieties. The things that are troubling you. For example, Lord, I have debt. Lord, my relationship is not doing well. Lord, I'm struggling at work. Lord, I get angry really easily. Lord, I'm just not happy. Lord, I feel hopeless. Lord, my children are going wayward. Lord, I really want children. (laughs) And put those in your hands, and then after you've named everything that you can think of, I want you to do something. I want you to turn those hands over like this and say, Lord, I give all of this to you right now. I empty these things because I can't deal with them, and I know you can I am proclaiming this promise that you say that I am casting all my anxieties on you and putting them in your hands because I know that you care for me. Lord, my hands are empty right now. And then I want you to turn those hands back over. Empty and light and I want you to thank God for his promises. Lord, in my hands now are your power. My hands are full of victory. My hands are full of hope and healing. My hands are full of reconciliation. Because of your suffering, God, my hands are now full of joy and peace. These are the fruits of your labor, Lord. And I have not deserved these, but Jesus does. And I proclaim him And Lord, I praise you for filling my hands with good things. Amen. You have to be intentional in your relationship with God. We live in a world that's very much kind of a plug and play. You know, we do the auto updates on our phone. It happens usually while we're sleeping and... That's usually when our alarm didn't go off like it should have because the updates and we we want things to kind of be seamless in life. But we have to be very intentional with our faith and we have to understand what it is that we're dealing with, struggling with, and put that out there to God and put them from our limited hands into His hands. So from this day forward, I want you to look at your hands differently. You have hands, and hopefully you will keep those hands the rest of your life. I hope. When you see your hands, I want you to remember whose image they're created in. I want you to remember when you see your hands that when your hand is joined to God's hand, you're going to live a life of victory. Because when your hand is joined to the hand of God, Jesus is the right hand of God. Every day, take your life and I want you to surrender it to the Lord. And when you feel like taking matters into your own hand, I want you instead to take your matters to the hand of God. From my hand to God's. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father thank you for your mighty hands of power and majesty your greatness supersedes any power known in this world thank you Jesus that you reign right now in this moment as the supreme authority the right hand of God you are ruling and reigning in heaven and you are over earth as well we come to you tonight and we humble ourselves before you casting our cares on you knowing that you will exalt us at the perfect time. Remind us when we are tempted to take matters into our own hands, to take those matters from our hands to yours, so we can bring glory to the name of all, above all names, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, Jesus Christ. And it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.